You're listening to the best of Kevin and Query on 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. Mark right on cue with a little growing pains, right? Yep. Which is what uh, Tyrese Halliburton apparently has. The groin pains, though, right? Um, Matt Ryan with some growing pains, I guess, over the course of the season in his first year with the Colts. Odd to say for a veteran quarterback. And I think we all know the realities of what the long-term, or for that matter, very short-term future is going to be with the Colts. But, Kevin, you were saying there are some statistical, I guess, anomalies or would you say red flags that jump out? Yes, as red as red can be, I would say. Yeah, I remember dating back to training camp, Jake, watching Matt Ryan and the offense. And, I mean, he probably threw 200-some passes in training camp. And I would say two or three of them were completed past like 20 yards. And, again, that's a time where you're wearing a red jersey – the pass rush can't touch you, can't even lay a finger on you. So you would think that would be the time where you try that stuff or you are able to hit on those things. So I was curious how that would play out during the season. There is a um, NFL comes out with an analytics stat. Next gen stats is what it's called. Next gen stats. And within that, they have a stat that is average yards a passer throws the ball down the field. So basically... A pass attempt, your intended air yards. How and this is for obviously completions or incompletions. Matt Ryan is at six point two yards per pass attempt for the season. Now, to put that into what does that mean? Six point two is dead last in the NFL among the thirty nine quarterbacks that qualify with a necessary number of pass attempts. These stats have been kept in the NFL since twenty sixteen. 280 quarterbacks qualify over that time period. And Matt Ryan is sitting at 279th. Uh, That's very alarming. Um, You want to know who's 280th? Say the qualifiers for the list again. Since 2016, you just have to have X amount of pass attempts, you know, like 100 during the season, something like that. Average yards per, you're saying? Average yards per attempt. This so, person still in the league? This person is not still in the league. He is on TV, though. Again, intended per attempt. So Since I drop year? back, I throw it. That ball goes seven yards in the air. That's my intended so number. Since, uh, since 2016. So that Orlovsky. rules out Orlovsky, probably, right? You're on the right station. I think he's someone new. Hasselbeck? On the station. One of the Hasselbecks? And coming back from one of the most horrific injuries you'll ever oh, see, oh. Alex Smith. Okay. How is he on television, by the way? I think he's pretty good. So think about that, guys. Dating back to 2016, the only person that Matt Ryan has challenged down the field more than is a guy that looked like he would never play football ever again. Right. It is beyond alarming. This passing offense cannot do anything whatsoever from a vertical standpoint not even like really vertical semi-vertical how much of that is on matt ryan and how much of that is on an inability i I think i know the answer here but to be fair if matt ryan had stefan diggs or you know a, a receiver that can get immediate separation or just one of those that's like just get it in the vicinity and they're gonna make a play you know 
Jefferson, you know, a guy that that is just going to make a play for you and or if he had a line that gives him time to sit and wait for guys to get separation if they can't get it automatically off the line, how much of that plays into this for him or against him? I think it's a three-pronged thing, Jake. One, it's a guy that's got a weak arm. Two, it's an offensive line that can't hold up for very long. And three, I don't think it's a group that creates separation at the level that you need to. I mean, think about the big plays they have hit on. I mean, th- think back to Michael Pittman's big catch on Monday. That was just a jump ball. The Alec Pierce plays, it's not like he's created four yards of separation. Right. You have never, find me a time this year you've seen a Colts wide out or tight end 15 yards down the field running free. Running two yards away from a defensive back. Um, you, you have it. So I think it's a three-pronged thing, but and we were talking Scotty Montgomery, the running backs coach, yesterday, and one of the keys that he pointed out was we have got to get opposing defenses to stop putting so many guys close to the line of scrimmage. Teams have zero respect for the Colts passing offense. Absolutely zero. And that is that stat backs it up. I mean, they don't attempt to throw the ball down the field. And to me, that's probably, and again, O-line, personnel at wide out and tight end, obviously the quarterback at 37 years old. There's a lot of factors playing into it, but that root of it, that's the biggest issue of the season. How can you expect your offense to move the ball at all when you cannot challenge teams down the field, therefore they just load the box and they feast on you? You know, one of the things I think that happens to quarterbacks when they get older especially like Matt Ryan would be a prime example. I think this happened to Peyton Manning is there are certain quarterbacks, Kevin, that their arm strength was just, they always had an arm where, or they had a receiver that blessed them with the fact of like, I'm just going to be able to throw this ball into an area where like nobody else is able to get it, right? Like just based on the the velocity, I can, you know, in the, the short amount of time in the window that I have to get it there. But I, I think with Manning, and I, you tell me if you think Ryan fits into this category. With Peyton Manning, the thing that made Peyton Manning so great was he did not worry, when Peyton Manning knew like clockwork exactly where his receiver was going to be when they were going to be there and when they turned around the ball would be right there for them his timing was impeccable it wasn't even necessarily about the velocity with which he got the ball there but rather the anticipation of knowing that split second when the defender was going to have his back turn and that's where he would have the ball where it needed to be and I think when Manning had the nerve injury the thing that really hurt him in the first year there in Denver was from one pass to the next, he didn't know how long it was going to take for the ball to get where it needed to be. So his timing was completely thrown off. And that's why at times you're like, what is he doing? And in Matt Ryan's case, I feel like he wasn't necessarily a Jeff George throw it through double coverage because his arm is that strong, it's going to fling past people kind of type of thrower, but rather just... My accuracy is so pinpoint that I can put it right there. And once that starts to go away, what do you have? Like, your timing is just gone, right? Yeah, you know, throwing with anticipation, I think, is something that's really, really important for a guy that doesn't possess, you know, the Mahomes arm or whoever right. else. Um, I think something that I've seen with Ryan but this when year. your arm is so inconsistent that you then, the anticipation isn't reliable one to the next is when it becomes tough, right? Yeah, I probably have noticed a little bit more, Jake, just jitteriness from Ryan. 
yeah. compared to Phillip Rivers a few years back. And there's probably a lot of factors at play there. Again, offensive line play. Um, I feel like when the pocket starts to break down, Ryan gets very anxious and like again, a little happy feet, jittery, uh, panicky, and the Colts are just unable to get anything done. It's got to be so perfect and so sound around him for him to tap into whatever um, passing offense you can muster. Um, and, I, and again, I find it very fitting that you know, in the times you've come back this year, or the times you've had passing offense success, I should say, it's really been through the no huddle. Now, you're not supposed to be drinking caffeine with the voice. Is that right? Is that what people are telling you here? Uh-huh. Just water and lemon? Yeah, I just got some tea during the break. <laughs> well, the tea has caffeine, right? Uh, it's non-caffeinated. Oh, decaf tea? Mm-hmm. Well, that, I don't... That, that seems, seems lame. Well, Mark, do you want to th- the throat it's to get the, better or not? It's the I'm drinking coffee, so I'm. It's the oduls of tea, right? <laughs> yeah. Now, Mark, do you have a? Are you going again, like circumnavigating around the Midwest this weekend? Or do uh, you, yeah, yeah. Where are you going this time? Nashville, Indiana, or Tennessee? Tennessee. We're gonna go stay at the uh, the Gaylord uh, Hotel, which is super nice. Oh, I guess Gaylord Perry. He passed yeah. away yesterday. Yep, yeah, yeah. We're gonna go see the Gaylord Perry Hotel. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Might stop at Bucky's, probably will. So if you guys want something, aside from a sinus infection, let me know. Well, how many Bucky's do they have between here and Tennessee? There's one or two. <laughs> so however many there are, we'll stop there. <laughs> you you really are a Bucky's fan, aren't you? I'm telling you, we need they need to sponsor the show. This needs to happen. Well, they don't have. They're not in market. That wouldn't be. Doesn't a matter. The closest is Richmond, Kentucky, right? <laughs> yeah, it's close enough. <laughs> it's it's a four and a half hour drive for the market, but let's go ahead and actually it's more like three and a half, right? It's worth the drive. I bet their name doesn't get mentioned in Richmond, Kentucky, as much as it gets mentioned in Indianapolis. Do they have Indiana. radio stations in Richmond, Kentucky? I don't know. We can find out. They just have a town prior, don't they? Signal reaches there. <laughs> um, did you see what what? I, I'm not even making light of this. Did we know if there was a resolution to the Antonio Brown situation last night? Uh, I did not see cops were outside his house trying to arrest him. Yeah, there was a warrant for his arrest for, I, I believe, domestic assault or domestic battery, something like that. And he didn't come out and told him that he had a stockpile of weapons inside the house. That was the last that I heard. I there's, And I don't know, were there teams that were interested in him at all? Or is it pretty much a foregone conclusion from everybody that... Yeah, I feel like what happened with the Jets at the Jets game probably said, see you later. Yeah, between that and what he's been posting about Tom Brady and Giselle, I feel like people like cut their losses. There was um, there was a play the Patriots had last night, though. Their only touchdown was to Marcus Jones. Marcus Jones is a punt returner and defensive back. It was the first time he ever played an offensive snap. I sat there and watched that play and thought, Shouldn't the Colts try that with Isaiah Rogers or Dallas Flowers right now? And I mean that in all seriousness. The Colts offense is desperate for a jolt, anything. Why not line up one of those corners, throw a screen to them, see if they can do something with the ball in their hands? I, I mean, they did it with, and I'm not saying that these are even comparison in terms of their athleticism necessarily, but uh, you remember the Cowboys eventually did that with Deion Sanders, didn't they? Sure. I mean, you're at the point now where your offense is boring as hell. Why not? I mean, New England's offense is equally as boring. They can at least run it, I think, a little bit. Um, uh, not according to Mac Jones, right? Well, yeah. Mac was not happy last night. 
I saw Belichick just had a press conference. You imagine like the game ends at midnight. You've got your post-game press conference, and then it's mandatory by the league that you have a press conference the next day, and he decides to have it at 7.30 in the morning. He did just have one? Yeah. You sure that was live? Live. On Zoom. Wonder how that went. I mean, is there anything more that says just like, I don't care whatsoever about the media or anything like that. I'm just going to have a press conference six or seven hours after. That's his whole deal, right? I mean, that's... You know, like I've always said about Bill Belichick, though, Kevin, I, I've talked to a lot of people who have said that part of the gruff, short answer, difficult to deal with, part of that's all kind of an act to just deflect, and that within his team, he's a pretty good dude, like a guy's guy, kind of a fun-loving guy. I mean, I'm not saying he's like walking around, you know, joking all the time, but you know, I mean, the, the the classic case being the Randy Moss Halloween party, and then he shows up dressed up like a pirate at a roller skating rink. You know, would he have done that for the seventh defensive back on the roster that asked him and invited him? Maybe not. I don't know. But there is a little bit of like the whole, I'm not going to say a single thing because I'm smarter than everybody else. I mean, it does get a little bit old. Greg Rakeshaw going to join us at the eight o'clock, top of the 8 o'clock hour here. We'll talk a little bit of everything from Rake. Any takeaways he had from the state finals last weekend. Again, the U.S. men's national team tomorrow. We'll see if he approves of my kit. you think he will be able to guess which player I'm, I'm rocking? If you give him the name and the number. Well, yeah, I would hope he would guess that. Yeah, I mean, the if, name and the number. Boy, the, I mean, name, the name and the number could be a dead giveaway. I'm sorry. The, if you give him the, what's the, the design and the number. Well, he know like which I don't know which version of that is Jake drinking the or eating the tequila. That's worm? right. Doesn't say. Some people say it's mezcal, not tequila, with the worm. What's that? It's mezcal, not tequila. Mm-hmm. Okay. So is it, is it mezcal? I, I that you have at your parents' house. No, I think it's tequila. Well, that might be. Bring right. it what, in. Let's have I, some fun. Pardon my naivete. What's the difference between mezcal and tequila? I, I mean, it looks just like tequila, and it's got a worm floating around. Bring it in. But that's probably right. Bring it in. I think it has like a little bit of a cloudy look in it too because it's well, yeah, it's twenty six years old. <laughs> it's it's all- old enough that the worm is now old enough to drink. By yeah, the way. it's got offspring in there. <laughs> That's right. Twenty. The, the worm can now rent a car. So. <laughs> Get Mark pulling up one of the more underrated and underappreciated Oasis hits. This is a great song. It's great. All their songs are great, man. Mm-hmm. You think Rex going to know? Yes. Yeah, he'll figure it out. Greg Rakestraw is with us right now on the Payless Liquor Hotline. He also may have been listening earlier. Rake, um, were you listening by chance in the 7 o'clock hour? Uh, I was asleep until 7.55, so that's a no. (laughs) Appreciate your honesty. And appreciate you waking up with us. I am wearing a U.S. Men's National Team kit of a player that played, I believe, on both the 2010 and 2014 World Cup teams. Any guesses? Any hints you can give me? Um, Native of New Jersey. Wasn't even really thought to or, be... Or in, new kit, actually, in his term. Wasn't really thought to be in this cycle of guys making the team. I believe he still plays, though. Um, Alejandro Bedoya. Ooh, no. Um, he's a midfielder or striker. Played in both the 20 and t- 2010 and 2014 teams. 
Yeah. Have a current, have a current team. Played in Toronto I, for a long time. I think he scored, if I'm not mistaken, in one of the World Cups. Would that be Josie Altidore, then? Okay. Great work, Rake. Thank you. I guess there's probably not a lot of guys. Unfortunately, that- his, his 2014 was very brief. He was injured in the first match and then was done for the rest of the World Cup. Greg, to put the World Cup in... He did score, right? I believe so, yes. Greg, to put the World Cup right now into the into a language that a broader audience can understand, I'm not saying people don't understand it, but you'll get what I mean here. Um, now that the United States is out of group play, they are facing the Dutch. That is the equivalent in the NFL of what two teams getting ready to square off in the playoffs in terms of likelihood of getting to the Super Bowl. This would be really testing his brain early in the morning. The Dutch remind me of the Tennessee Titans. Okay. Okay. Good team, beatable. I like that. You know, and so I'm trying. So, so the USA, I'm trying to think of the equivalent of, of this year, what they would be. They would be kind of like the the New York Jets. Mm, no, I love. I like that. Just just this year. A team that may not that much was expected of, but are clearly heading in the right direction. Right. Okay. Fair. I was thinking very poor man's Miami Dolphins, like that's a young Dolphins team. I thought of, yeah. Yeah, that's also a, a, a similar comparison. I would agree with that. Um. So tomorrow at ten, again, it'd be the United States and Netherlands. Uh, the health of Christian Pulisic, Rake, I assume, is pivotal for this match. Absolutely. I mean, because he is so much of what they generate offensively. Uh, you know, what this team has shown is that defensively, they're really good. Um, and the strength of this group was thought to be in the midfield. I think that's accurate. The big weakness, and it's not surprising given the fact the U.S. has scored twice in three matches. What they are missing is a striker in top form. You know, that has been kind of a rotating chair up top. The guy that we thought it was going to be a year ago uh, was Ricardo Pepe. I think he can be that guy. I'm still somewhat surprised he wasn't called upon for this World Cup roster uh, by Greg Berhalter. But it's just not going to be a bunch that scores a lot of goals. They're going to have to win matches one nothing, which we saw them do against Iran the last time out. So, Pulisic is such a big part of what this team can generate offensively that it would be... It, it's not a not a death sentence if, they, if, they, if he doesn't play tomorrow or can't play 90 minutes, but it's a lot easier than to, to, to create scoring chances if number 10 is out on the field. Greg, here's my soccer neophyte question of the day, as if my others have not been. Um, is there a different style of play of soccer that wins in these competitions versus what you would see strictly when guys go back and they're playing professionally? In other words... Does the World Cup all of a sudden, you know, because of the the nature in which the games are played, the scheduling, etc., is a different style effective in the World Cup than it would be, say, for Man U or Barcelona in their respective leagues? Does does that make sense? What I'm asking, and, and am I a sure. moron? Or the Indy Eleven? I'm, I'm, I'm not sure if it's a, a a style in particular. World Cups and international events like this are so much more random. Just because, yeah, you have some situations where, you know, this group has largely been together, you know, ever since, let's say, the pandemic ended, so the end of 2020. You know, with, with a handful of, of guys that, that aren't here, 
um, Chris Richards, Reggie Cannon, Zach Steffen, etc. Et um, you know, most of this group have, have played together. Oh, now what would be 20 to 25 to 30 matches? And I may be off my count a little bit. But, but that's, that's broken up over the course of two years in different chunks. You know, a Premier League season is 38 matches. A Major League Soccer season is 34 matches. There are leagues in Europe in which you play 46 matches if you have a 24-team league, like, say, in the level below the Premier League in the championship. And so styles can vary, but, but it's just, there's a lot more of a random nature to it. Like, for example, you know, to, to make the round of 16, you got to play good for, for 10 days. you got to play well for a week and a half. Uh, and, and, you know, the course of a Premier League season goes from August to March. Heck, in, in the 11 season, or not March, but May, in the 11 season goes from March until October. And so our style's a little bit different, yes. But again, this competition, there's just some, there's some randomness to it because it's so important in such a small amount of time and a limited number of games. Rick, what's your best remedy when you're losing your voice? Uh, are you dealing with that, or do you think I'm dealing with that? Oh, I am. Um, stop talking. Let Jake do the show. Go home. <laughs> okay. It sounds like oh, yeah. it sounds like Jake's dream right Greg, there. Greg, let's be honest. That's a remedy you have never adhered to. Well, I, I, I think the first time that you... I mean, I can't say the last time that you and I have done a show together. Um, I, I guess, you know, other than just simply month of May stuff... Um, I, I, I think it's going to be Query and Rakestraw on Monday instead of Query and Schultz. So I, I will have you know some experience to, to, to base that off of coming up on Monday morning. <laughs> All right. So you don't go tea or honey or any of that. Um, I just I, I have a bag of holes with me and yeah. down them on a regular basis to numb the pain is what I usually do. Uh, we have numb not the pain. We have not talked with you since the state finals. Your biggest takeaway from last Friday and Saturday down at the Drum. Uh, Center Grove, um, the fact that they won kind of in their in-between year and knowing that while they do graduate a lot of kids off this group, there's kind of another wave of talent coming. You know, this could be an historic run for them. They are the first team in the largest classification to play in four consecutive state championship games since the team that is widely thought to be the best in state history. You know, because we've had those conversations in previous years. Um, you know, the 2003 through 2006 Warren Central run from 20 years ago. Next year, Center Grove could possibly be the first in the largest classification to win four consecutive, you know, since that group did it. Um, the Valparaiso Whiteland game was absolutely fantastic. Um, I, I think that, um, you know, those two teams could play 10 times. They'd go five and five against each other. Um, and, and then the dominance of the teams from the southern half of the bracket in 4A. The last several 4A championship games have not been close because the team from the South, which has been different teams, have absolutely thumped the teams from the North, which has also been different teams. So, And, and when Chittard's in 3A, they're going to win. That, that, those are the things that immediately jump out to me about you know last week's state championship games. Greg Regstra is our guest. He's on the Payless Sickers Hotline. Of course, one of his responsibilities is that of doing the postgame show for the Indianapolis Colts broadcast. That will be, and Greg, that's why you're mentioning Monday, you're going to be burning the midnight oil probably in the seat that one of the two of us is sitting in right now in here after Sunday night football between the Colts and the Cowboys. 
And I was asking Kevin this. I, do you think that there is or do the Colts have to battle the the mental initiative of just turning the page and saying, you know what, it's over. Now we're moving towards beyond the last month of the season. And is there a challenge in getting everybody on the same page of, no, we still got games to play? You know, I, I almost think that that mental hurdle block um, will be easier to deal with after the bye. I almost think that it's, it's a little bit easier to say, okay, four games left to go. Is it going to be a playoff team? No. Are they still mathematically alive right now? Yes. Are they going to be a playoff team? Of course not, um, watching how they have played. Um, but but I, I kind of think once you get that separation for a few days from the bye, it'll be easier to kind of to, to, to acknowledge kind of where you are. The one thing I will say is this. I was out there on Wednesday, and I, I'm curious if Kevin may have noticed the same thing. I heard Jeff talk about this, and, and I kind of heard Matt Ryan allude to it as well. It was the first time I heard guys almost – Almost mentioned, hey, you're 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 putting tape out there. Yep, it's it, it's almost things you talk about at the end of the preseason. You know, where I, where I heard guys talk about, hey, you're, you're, you know, you're you're on film for 31 NFL teams. I'm like, okay, this is a bit of a of a paradigm shift and and looking at things differently. So even though I I, I acknowledge it and I agree with it, it was still jarring to hear that from the head coach and from other players. So I think there is an acknowledgement of exactly where this group is right now. Yeah, late November. I'm not used to hearing that, especially inside no. of that building. Um, yeah, I definitely heard the same thing. Rake, obviously Purdue, unbelievable what they accomplished last week, men's basketball and football. You watched a lot of Braden Smith and Fletcher Lawyer. I know it's not necessarily apples to apples, but when I watch those two, I get a little bit of a feel of like the Villanova guard-led teams. Or, you know, as a Notre Dame basketball fan, you know, when they had like Chris Quinn and Chris Thomas together, or, you know, Demetrius Jackson, those guys. Again, I know it's not the exact same style of play, but when you've got these extremely skilled guards, and a Braden Smith case can bring it on both ends of the floor, I just think that can do so much for your program in getting you on runs. I'm just happy that what I kept saying all of last year was accurate, that those two dudes can play uh, and, and that they would be helpful to Matt Painter's team immediately. I, I, I saw more of Smith than I did Lawyer, although I had a good amount of, of Fletcher's games, you know, I guess late in his junior year and, and, and then numerous times in his senior year as, as they made several trips to Indianapolis to, to play as good a competition as they possibly could heading into the postseason. Um in terms of, you know, the comparison I've always made with Smith was, was Jordan Hulls. I want to give Mark Monteith credit because he made a comparison. I go, yeah, I see that too. So I, I saw this on Facebook for Mark about a week or two ago where he compared Smith to, to Scott Skiles. And I go, yeah, I see that too. And I, Painter I, I, I has said that. that. What's up? Painter has said that too. Yeah, yeah, I, 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 I see that. Uh, and so... Just the fact that those two guys, again, is there a possibility somebody leaves early for the NBA? Maybe, maybe not. There's always a possibility somebody decides to go play someplace else. See, that's the big one, Greg. You want to run as freshmen, and you're both kind of from the area. I think you'll stick around. But just the fact that this combo, in theory, could be together for four years is is a sight to behold. The, The thing that worries me of where we could be headed right now for college basketball is that... I'm not saying the case with those two guys necessarily. I'm not saying it's not a possibility. But I look at certain players, no names specifically mentioned here, and I think, okay, is it possible that they are arriving on a college campus 
with the mindset of, I'm going to play here until the NBA comes calling for me. And if for whatever reason the NBA doesn't come calling for me, then I'm going to play here for one year, get some NIL money, then I'll transfer somewhere where I'm new and I'm shiny again and I can get the NIL money all over again. And that we're going to start seeing players jumping around year to year. I know there are transfer sit-out rules and things like that. But I worry, Greg, and, and this is maybe me overthinking it, but I worry that players now, and I'm all for the NIL and people, I mean, I get it. I totally get it. But I just worry that players are equally going to exploit that. And as a result of that, it's going to be difficult to keep track of where guys are. I don't think it's going to be a situation of, I want to go someplace new. I think that's the case for guys that don't get much playing time. I think it's the case of, I want to make sure I make, I'm maximizing my dollars in the free market economy. Um, I, 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 you know, I joke that when the, with the transport portal, you know, we had hit college free agency. Now with NIL money, we have really hit college free agency. And so I think for those guys that, that get regular playing time, I think that will be the motivational factor if they are to go someplace else is, can I go make more money playing for another institution? I think that is what will drive that, Jake. It's Greg Rakestraw, ISC Sports Network, as Jake said, late night for him coming up on Sunday with the Colts and Cowboys. Rake, I will be inside of Lucas Oil Stadium, uh, very rare for me as a fan, on Saturday night when seven minutes rolls around to go in the fourth quarter. What will I be witnessing? You'll be witnessing Purdue hanging around. Um, just because I don't think Michigan is, is – and I realize they, they were in the 40s last week against Ohio State, but I, I think Purdue can hang with them. Um, I think Purdue has – I did an interview in Michigan on Monday about this team. I said, Why, what makes you think Purdue can hang around? I said, because Purdue has, I think, an elite-level skill player at three or four different spots. And like Aiden O'Connell's a really good college quarterback. I think Charlie Jones is a really good college wide receiver. Clearly, Devin Mockaby can tote the rock, and Payne Durham's going to be an NFL player um, as a tight end. I think that will allow Purdue to hang around. You know, the only team of, of similar ilk that they played out of the East was Penn State. It was a 35-31 game. You can do the comparison shopping as to how they played against Illinois, and that was in the relatively recent past. Purdue fought much better against Illinois, had a much easier time with the Illini than Michigan did. So I, I would think in the fourth quarter, this is a seven or 10 point game. And, and I'm not sure if it's going to be, you know, crazy high scoring or not. So I, I, I think Purdue is going to be, is going to hang around this game maybe more than some people think they will. Greg, was Maccabee a can't miss player coming out of high school? Was he Maccabee a big time? He put up insane numbers, played at Boonville, which is three, a track guy, right? Uh, I, and he was supposed to play for the Naval Academy. I believe, or one of the service academies is where he was going to go. For whatever reason, that changed, and he became available. So he put up crazy good numbers. He just did so against not the best level of competition. Speaking of the academies, do you think it's weird that Air Force runs almost specifically a ground game and Army throws the ball? I think it... Uh, Wait, Army throws Army it now? Is Army back to throwing it now? Or they well... Because I've always thought of it as more of a ground-and-pound offense, too. Yeah, yeah they, they I thought the over-under was like 22-and-a-half. when Army-Navy played... When um, I'm sorry, it, it's it's Navy. I'm thinking of, Navy runs also the option, but Air Force is the one. I, I guess that when I was watching Air Force, I'm like, these guys run the option. They they never throw the ball 
Army at least will occasionally throw the ball. Against UNLV last year, where they literally never threw the ball for an entire game. Did nothing but run the ball. Navy's won like five games in the last 10 years where they haven't completed a pass. Yeah. I mean, which is awesome. It is pretty awesome. Rake, before we let you go, um, storyline or two to watch in the high school basketball season? Um, good question. Um, there was a game on Wednesday, which was rare, that caught my attention because Ben Davis, I think, is one of the better teams in the state. Southport took him to overtime. And, and, and Southport has had some kids that have played as freshmen, sophomores. You know, they've got a young group. They have kind of grown together. And so that game, that was on my radar. I'll see Pike and Ben Davis uh, tonight. Uh, I will have your Cathedral Fighting Irish tomorrow night when they take on Centerville, who is led by Gabe Cup, who's going to play at Indiana University. Uh, that game is over the Sneakers for Santa Classic in Brownsburg. Other game of the featured two games there tomorrow is Ben Davis again, but against Kokomo and Flory Badunga, who is one of the top national recruits in the junior class. Kokomo got beat by Westfield, who is is good, but is nowhere near what they were last year without Braden Smith and Cam Hafner, who are now playing at Purdue and, and Eastern Illinois, respectively. So that kind of result got, got uh, my attention as well. So, uh, you know, locally it's Ben Davis and Cathedral. But maybe we shouldn't sleep on Southport because they hung with a really good Ben Davis team a couple of nights ago. I lied. I want to throw this question that I know I do a lot to during the college basketball season. In the state of Indiana, I'm setting the over-under at three and a half. How many NCAA tournament teams out of the state this year? Hmm. <laughs> For now, I would... No, you know what? Over. I think the big four are all going to make it. I think, I think, you think Butler, Butler and Notre Dame? Indiana Purdue make it, and then I think Indiana State, as evidenced by hey. their winning race, there's 19 more league games to go, but they've got a shot to come out of the Valley. So so let's say over that, that you know, two of Notre Dame, Indiana State, Butler make the NCAA field. By the way, Army, this season, 8.4 passes per game. <laughs> I love it. Navy, 11.1 pounds per game. I think they threw a lot against Notre Dame to get back in it. Air Force, 6.2. That's beautiful. Air Force is mixing in a little air this year. Absolutely. Love it. Rake, um, I thought I was getting some advice for you on the throat, but um, I guess I'll go stock up on, on some halls here after the show. Just, uh, you know, vocal probation is the way to go. After 10 o'clock today, shut it down. Got it. Thanks, Rake. Yep. 27 minutes before the hour of 9 o'clock here on a Friday morning in Indianapolis. Good morning to you. My name is Jake Quarry. Kevin Bowen, the other voice you hear here. Mark Dykton as well. It is Kevin and Quarry on 93.5-1075. The fan joining us now on the Payless Liquors Hotline. He is, at the moment, I don't know if you'd say the busiest guy in Indiana broadcasting, but certainly one that might be pushing his chest out more than most because he's been calling a lot of really good athletic competition both on the football and basketball side of things and his radio duties for the Purdue Boilermakers talking about Rob Blackman and Rob I'll give you um I'll give you the choice here we can begin by talking about the Big Ten championship football game we can begin talking about Matt Painter's group that you obviously know so well as the voice of the Boilers your pick which one you want to start with can I take option number three, and that's lay down and take a nap? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what we do every morning beginning at 7, yeah, brother. Say, sound like Jake. <laughs> it's uh, been quite a quite a journey here. Not that I'm complaining. I mean, what a what a great problem to have. The 
and have to get ready for a Big Ten football championship game. But I, I guess let's talk basketball first, guys. Uh, Purdue obviously goes out to Portland and has great success in the Phil Knight, uh, uh, the Phil Knight Legacy Tournament. You know, not only do they win three games against high major competition, but the two of the three were ranked in the top ten at the time. So those are some pretty impressive victories. And then, you know, that was a trip where we we got home from that trip. We landed in at the Purdue Airport at 4.15 in the morning on Monday morning. And then we're right back on a plane Tuesday night to head to Florida State. And we arrived in Tallahassee. Tuesday morning about 1 a.m. and then played that night so <laughs> that, that's why I'm begging for a nap but what a uh, what a run for Purdue basketball certainly to start the season 7-0 and and to really do it with a group that uh, uh, maybe probably fair to say a lot of Purdue fans did not see this coming uh, when you consider the youth of this group starting two true freshmen in the backcourt and uh, at, at the point guard and two guard position and and really having only one you know true returnee from last year that you felt like you could uh, you know count on uh, to give you a lot of production offensively and Zach Eady and he's been even better than advertised this year so a uh, heck of a start for this team um, obviously we're we're only here in uh, in early December uh, still a long way to go with this with with this group but the fact that they're seven and0 and and you know I was just thinking about this before you guys called this morning the win over Marquette uh, 75 to 70 I think was the final that's the only that's the only single digit victory Purdue's had. I mean, Purdue not only and is Rob, winning all these winning these games, they're winning them by double digits. You know what's interesting about that win over Marquette? I, I think we know that come March on Selection Sunday, that when they list quality wins for Purdue, that Gonzaga, who may not be a top three team in the country, but I think we know that's going to be a good win. Obviously, the same in both counts holds true for Duke. That win over Marquette might be a, a nice little feather in the cap come March. Would you agree? Well, yeah, I just look what they did to Baylor uh, earlier in the week. Absolutely. I mean, absolutely destroyed Baylor. <laughs> you know, that game wasn't even close. So, yes, that game will go a long way, certainly in the month of March, to, to helping your seed line. But, yeah, uh, totally agree. And, again, that's the closest game Purdue has had. That's probably the most amazing thing to me. It's not like Purdue has been squeaking out victories here against top top ten competition. I mean, these games have been blowouts. <laughs> so, uh, uh, off to a good start. Like I said, still only seven games in the season. You know, there's still a long way to go, but man, it's been a heck of a start to the season. Kenny's Rob Blackman, voice of the Boilers. One more on the basketball front for me, Bob, or Rob. Um, when you think back to that schedule, you just rattled off. What Zach Eady is doing and the number of minutes he's playing has really stood out to me. Like I feel like when you see big guys have a rise in minutes, sometimes it just gets a little sloppier. Foul trouble, not as consistent, You know, hard to stamina-wise. Maybe your free throw shooting uh, is harder to maintain that consistency. And yet it's 20 points right in the scorebook every night from him. And he, without him, on Tuesday, of course... I mean, Florida State probably wins that game, and that's on the heels of what you just said, schedule travel-wise. So, um, yes, Brayden Smith and Fletcher Lawyer, rightfully so, have gotten a lot of attention. But Zach Eady and that uptick of minutes, that's really stood out to me, how consistently um, he's produced, and he deserves to be probably the early favorite for National Player of the Year. I I saw that uh, same comment from a couple of college sports guys yesterday about the front-runner for National Player of the Year, and... I don't know. It's kind of hard to argue right now with the numbers he's putting up. Twenty, what, twenty-two and twelve? I think right around there. Probably the most amazing thing about Zach has been his free throw shooting. I mean, he is 
I think right now, 77% or something like that. I mean, which is uh, just an amazing uh, number for a guy that's seven foot four <laughs> to shoot the ball as well as he has from the free throw line. But yes, you're correct. I mean, look, look when, when the season began, most of the questions concerning Zach Eady surrounded his stamina and his ability to play a lot of minutes. Uh, he played 19 minutes game, a game last year. And all anyone wanted to talk about is, all right, well, if he would have played 40 minutes, here would have been his numbers. And while those numbers were, astru- were, were just uh, off the charts, the fact of the matter is no one's going to play 40 minutes in a game. So it's not realistic to say, well, boy, if the guy played 40 minutes, he'd average you know, this many points and this many rebounds. Hey, we're, that, that, that's a moot point. No one's playing 40 minutes in a game. Um, but the fact that he's gone from 19 minutes to now roughly 30 minutes a game and appears to show no ill will from a, from a conditioning standpoint, and more importantly, staying out of foul trouble. Uh, Zach Eady has not been in foul trouble once this year, knock on wood. Um, and he's gone against some guys that have tried very hard to get him in foul trouble, Drew Timmy being uh, among one of the many. Um, so, yeah, I, to me, I thought uh, from a Purdue standpoint, I thought we were off to a great start, at least from a fan base standpoint. When the first game of the season came and went, and Zach Eady had 12 points, 17 rebounds, and all I heard from Purdue fans is, what's wrong with Zach Eady? I thought to myself, are you kidding me? The guy just had 17 rebounds in a game, and you're wondering what's wrong with Zach Eady. Apparently nothing's wrong with Zach Eady, as has been evidenced by the numbers he's been putting up uh, this season. So good point by you. Um, yeah, stamina certainly was a concern, conditioning uh, coming into this thing, but he's worked very hard to get himself into shape and, and uh, he, he doesn't look any worse for the wear having to play these extra minutes here. Rob, what was – and I don't even know, Rob Blackman, if you would know this unless it just came up in conversation. During the course of the Gonzaga game, and I know we're going a little bit back here, but you mentioned Drew Timmy and Zach Eady and Timmy, they were showing on the, on the TV broadcast each time those guys were lining up next to each other for free throws or there was timeouts. They were talking to each other the entire time, and it didn't look like trash talk. Like They were kind of like joking around with one another and just engaged in conversation. Is there a history between those two in terms of like being teammates somewhere along the way, or do you have any idea what it was they were talking about? Uh, I don't believe there's a history there, and I don't know exactly what they were talking about, but I did hear a number of our players on the bus going back to the uh, hotel after the game talking about Timmy uh, was all, was basically talking the whole game and not trash talk and not just to Zach. I think that's just his thing. He was just, if you happen to be lined up on the free throw lane beside him for a free throw, uh, he was going to chat your ear off. So I, maybe he's going to end up being in radio someday. I don't know. But, yes, I don't, I don't think there was anything specific there. I think that's just Drew Timmy. He likes to carry on a conversation when you happen to be standing close to him in a game. And I don't, I don't think it was Zach Eady related. I think it just... Anyone wearing a Purdue uniform that was willing to listen, uh, he was willing to talk, it sounds like. What do you think has been, Rob, the thing to me that is so impressive about Purdue is Caleb first, Mason Gillis, you know, with every possession, and we're going to talk a lot over the course of this year about their freshman backcourt, right? And obviously about Zach Eady, but the rest of the crew... There are so many guys that I see on that floor, and I think to myself, that's a guy that probably could have gone elsewhere and been the guy. But he has a he has a defined role in this team as simply being one of the Pistons and not being concerned with being the whole engine. What is it about Purdue basketball that is allowed in an era of egos to get guys that buy into that? 
Uh, that's a tough one. <laughs> I don't think I have an answer, at least a straight answer for you, Jake. Um, I, my belief is, and while I've certainly never been recruited by Matt Painter, but I have a pretty good idea about what goes on in most of those recruiting meetings when he visits with players and, and parents. I do know the one thing they all talk about that they respect the most is that Matt Painter does not sell them a bill of goods. He just gives it to them straight. Uh, he doesn't promise playing time. He doesn't promise all conference uh, accolades. He doesn't promise you're going to get this many shots or, or, you know, whatever. He basically says, here's the deal. All The only thing we're going to guarantee you is a chance to, to get on the floor. And if you're the best player, then you'll play. And if you're not, then you'll set the bench. Is what it boils, basically boils down to. Uh, in the end, he's very upfront and honest with them. And I do believe, um, despite despite today's culture, I do believe there's still enough players out there and enough parents out there, probably more importantly, that do appreciate that honesty and are willing uh, to uh, uh, to get on board with a guy like a Matt Painter who just gives it to him straight. Um, and look, there have been there have been times where Matt Painter has missed on a recruit or two or three. And that's been the biggest uh, the knock uh, from the Purdue fan base on his recruiting style as well. You know, we're, we're not we're not promising these guys the moon, and that's why they don't end up coming here. Well, uh, those guys normally they get promised the moon, uh, at least in a Purdue uh, Purdue atmosphere, uh, don't uh, usually don't work out very well for us anyway. So I just think it's his honesty in uh, in the recruiting process and. And, and, not, and again, not promising a guy that uh, that, that they're going to be a, a guy that gets uh, 30 minutes a game or, or 20 shots a game. Look, Trey Kaufman-Wren, uh, let's just cut right to the chase. He was offered by places like North Carolina. You know, the same North Carolina that went all the way to the national championship game last year. Not only did Trey Kaufman-Wren choose Purdue, he redshirted last year. He voluntarily took a redshirt. So this is a guy that could have gone to North Carolina and played and he decided to come Purdue and, and redshirt. Um, so obviously there are still guys out there that, uh, like I said, who, who that recruiting style works with. It works with them, with the player, works with their family. And, uh, and those are the kind of guys that Matt Painter wants. And, and so far, so good, at least on that front. Rob, looking at tomorrow night, again, one of the biggest games really in recent Purdue football history, if not the biggest, inside of Lucas Oil Stadium. Two to three keys for you for Purdue to have legit game pressure on Michigan in the final few minutes? Well, you better win the turnover battle. I would start right there. Um, you look at the turnover numbers this year. I was looking at them last night doing a little game prep there. Michigan's plus seven, I think, in the turnover game, and Purdue is plus one. Um, so you better find a way to win the turnover battle. I think it's going to be tough to beat these guys if you don't. And certainly if you lose the turnover battle, you're going to be in big trouble. Um, you know, secondly... Can you find a way to come up with a big play on offense, whether that's uh, or maybe that's a trick play from your special teams? I don't know. Um, but the one thing Michigan's been so good about this year—I mean, forget their—I mean, their defensive numbers are off the charts. You, you look at how good they've been defensively this year. Uh, number two in total defense. I think they're number number three maybe in scoring defense, and they have been all season long. The one thing they do is they don't allow the big play. There, there never is a big play over their head um, as far as a 60, 70 yard touchdown. They just don't allow it. So if you can find a way to come up with a big play or two, I would say that is that would be number two. And I would say the third, you know, if you're coming up with a third key, uh, you, you need Aiden O'Connell to be to be the November of Aiden O'Connell of last year, uh, if that makes sense. You know, one of the reasons Aiden O'Connell found himself 
back in August on a lot of these, you know, Heisman Trophy watch list kind of dark, dark, dark list candidate uh, uh, list for Heisman Trophy is how good he was in November of last year. I mean, the guy was unbelievable. As Jeff Brahma said, maybe the best month of football he's ever seen from a college quarterback ever. Um, has Aiden O'Connell been that this year? No, no, he hasn't. But we've seen it. We saw it the entire month of November last year. If, if, if Purdue can get one game, one game, that being tomorrow night, of Aiden O'Connell of November of 2021, then Purdue will have a chance to win that game on Saturday. Rob, do we have an idea where Purdue would slot in terms of bowl games? And maybe I'm naive. There may be like a defined thing saying Big Ten championship game runner-up goes right here. How in the world does Quarry not know that? But is, do we know or have an idea where you may be going? Uh, the only guarantee at this point is if Purdue wins, they would be in the Rose Bowl. That right. is for certain. Right. That was confirmed. If Purdue loses... And there was there was a lot of discussion about that, was there not, in terms of the Rose Bowl? Or am I yes, off base? Yes, if, if there was, uh, apparently, if, if there was some type of uh, uh, wording that would have kept Purdue out of the Rose Bowl for some reason, I, I didn't get too involved in that, but it appears to have been confirmed yesterday that if Purdue wins, they're in the Rose Bowl no matter what. The only other thing I'm hearing, guys, uh, is that uh, if Purdue were to lose, it's probably almost a guarantee that they'll be playing somewhere in the state of Florida and playing on January the 2nd. So <laughs> I guess just look up the bowl games in Florida on January 2nd, and it appears that's where Purdue will be if, if they lose. That's, going that's what I'm hearing. Citrus or Outback or one of those, Kevin? Yeah, I think there's a lot. Yeah, Camping yeah, World or whatever. Yeah, they don't Gator. think they're Outback Bowl anymore, do they? But, but anyway, yes, it's... I don't know. Again, I don't have them all listed in front of me, but uh, all I heard was Florida in January, and I thought, you know what? That doesn't sound too bad to me. So, <laughs> Good point. Rob, it's been a whirlwind of a week. Thanks for making a little time with us on this Friday morning, and uh, I'm sure it's been pretty enjoyable. So continue to soak it up and enjoy it. Excellent. Time for me to take a nap. Voice of the Colts, Matt Taylor, is joining us now, as he does every Friday, to preview the upcoming Colts game. I know my answer for this, but I'm curious Matt Taylor's thoughts. Mayte, Houston or Dallas? Where would you rather visit? Oh, man. Um, what's the criteria? Am I there for... What am I there to do? Just hang out? Yeah, you're flying out on a Thursday evening and fly back on a Sunday. I would probably say Houston. Really? Houston. Yeah. Ooh, no, right. what? Team, Team Dallas. Houston's too spread out. Yeah, I, I guess I haven't spent enough time in Dallas. I've only been to Dallas twice, and it's been for a Colts game, and it's been in and out, right? Fly in the day before and leave after the game as soon as the game's over. So just I, don't, to go I don't know to, too much about Dallas. I mean, just to go to Daly Plaza, quite frankly, and the Sixth Floor Museum, just from the history aspect of that in Dallas is cool. Yeah. But because Fort Worth is there, too, it's kind of buy one, get one, right? You've got, like, the, the mini L.A. feel of Dallas and then, like, the – the big cow town feel of Fort Worth. And you got to go to Joe T. Garcia's and have Mexican dinner. There you go. There's your Dallas itinerary. There you go. A little Tex-Mex down there and then some barbecue. I'm sure you got some good barbecue in both oh, yeah. Houston and Dallas, right? Yeah, for sure. Um, Fort Worth in, in particular. The stockyards are cool. It's cool. Yeah. but um, uh, I'm a big fan of it. Okay, so the better question would be this. You'd rather play the Texans than the Cowboys, by that the way. That is absolutely yeah. true. Yeah. For sure. Accurate statement no there question. from me. Um what what sort of things, for the Colts' standpoint, Matt, what are the odds that the Colts are going to go down there and, in fact, have an enjoyable trip to Dallas? And if they want to, they're going to have to do what? 
Well, if they want to hang around, um, you know, because I saw the point spread, right? It's like 10, 11 points. I mean, Dallas is playing some good football, right? It's that old adage of it's not it's not who you play, it's when you play them. And Dallas has won, you know, four or five. And I think they've scored 28 points and they're over 400 yards of offense in four straight games. I mean, that's some rarefied air on offense and kind of coincides with Dak Prescott playing some good ball. But I think if the Colts can can run the football against these guys on defense, They've got a really good defense, and you know they got Micah Parsons, and they lead the NFL in sacks and second fewest points allowed. But they're they're not stopping the run. They're giving up about 130 yards per game, um, and in their losses, and their three losses, they're giving up on average about 160 yards, which is 28th in, in losses in terms of stopping the run. So, could be a decent game for Jonathan Taylor. And I saw Mike McCarthy the other day saying that he fully expects the Colts to run it with Taylor about 20 times in this game, at least 20 times. So if the Colts are going to hang around and make it interesting and ultimately win the game, I think Jonathan Taylor has to have a big game. Again, voice of the Colts, Matt Taylor. He's with us here on the Payless Sickers Hotline. You know, I think there's several factors contributing to this, Matt. You look at the quality of Dallas as an opponent. What they've done with Dak Prescott versus Cooper Rush. I think it's a 12-point per game difference when Dak has started this year versus Cooper Rush. They've been off for 10 days. You've been off for 6 days. It's a road game. I get the Colts competed with Kansas City and Philly and obviously beat Kansas City. I think this is the hardest game the Colts have seen all year. To me, Dallas has some completeness to them as a football team that maybe have questions about Kansas City. And, you know, until the run defense showed up, he had some questions with Philly on that. Well, there's no doubt they're a really, really good team. You know, we had this fun debate internally uh, this week, you know, like if in the spirit of, of the college football playoff coming out this weekend, you know, like if there was an NFL four-team playoff and you had to pick four teams right now to make a four-team field regardless of division or regardless of conference, I think you have a hard time leaving the Cowboys out because of how well they're playing right now. I know they don't have the best record, but I mean – I mean, you look at it to your point, Kevin, since Dak Prescott came back, uh, well, let me back up. I mean, b- before his, before he came back with his injury, kind of reinserting himself, uh, as, you know, the second time as that, that starting quarterback there, they were like no better than 23rd on offense and points and a lot of really important offensive categories. And now they're like top five in everything, including scoring and and passing, and certainly, you know, they're, they're keeping Dak Prescott upright. They've only given up 14 sacks as a team on offense, so the offensive line protecting very, very well. And I think Prescott obviously has a lot to do with that, getting the ball out fast and his mobility. Um, but, yeah, they are a very, very complete team. I mean, you know, I mentioned the sacks allowed, fewest in the NFL. They also have the fewest, or I should say the most sacks on defense with 45. They have They have the most sacks on defense through 11 games in the last 20 years. Uh, in the NFL, so wow. Wow. Parsons has a ton to do with that. He's got 12 and 25 combined in the last two years. He's probably going to be in the conversation of uh, defensive player of the year after winning, you know, defensive rookie of the year last year. So, um, you know, stati- uh, statistically, and then if you watch him on film, they are a very good team. Um, but I do think they've got you know enough chinks in their armor. To, to be had, and I think, again, it goes back to the running game for the Colts and Jonathan Taylor kind of eke out some some hard-earned yards, get some first downs, grind the game down, limit possessions for uh, the Cowboys. 
similar to what the Colts did a couple weeks ago against uh, Philadelphia, what they did a couple years ago against um, Kansas City in that Sunday night game, ironically the last time the Colts were on Sunday night football. So, um, you know, Jonathan Taylor definitely has to be impactful in this game for the Colts to make it interesting. Matt, I realize that you don't cover the Cowboys, and it would only be maybe in your, your prep for this game that you might be able to answer this question. Uh, or in talking to perhaps, you know, I don't know if you talk to the radio guys from the other team to kind of exchange yeah. notes, but how reliant is Dallas's offense on Ezekiel Elliott? Is he, in other words, do they try to, to centerpiece things to use him as a decoy through him, or is he simply a complimentary piece when other things they're trying to do are not getting established? Uh, I think I think right now it's a combination of Elliott and then Tony Pollard. Tony Pollard is a really good complementary running back right very now. Very dynamic. Yeah, very very you know big in in terms of scrimmage yards. He's over a hundred scrimmage yards, uh, five games on the season. So, um, in fact, Dallas. To your point, Jake, Dallas is the only team this year with three players over six hundred scrimmage yards. When you factor in. Uh, C.D. Lamb, Elliott, and Pollard. And in the passing game or the receiving game, it really is C.D. Lamb and then sort of everybody else. I mean, the other wide receivers are, are Noah Brown, and then you got Michael Gallup, who started strong in his career, but he really hasn't been you know totally impactful this year. In fact, he's only got like 24 catches on the season, and C.D. Lamb has 64. So it's kind of 88, and then everybody else in terms of who you need to pay attention to on the roster, Dalton Schultz is a good tight end out of Stanford. He's got 310 receiving yards on the season and three touchdowns. Um, so, yeah, I, I think they're very. I think the biggest thing that you can say about Dallas is they they spread it around between those three guys, as I mentioned, Elliott, uh, Pollard, and Lamb. But they're very very balanced, and I mentioned those stats, you know, with the 400 uh, yards of offense and 28 points. But how they're doing it. You know, they're, they're the first team since, like, 1947 to have 240 passing yards and at least 150 rushing yards in four straight games. So, I mean, just you have to be very, very alert and, and you have to be very disciplined against this defense, this offense, because they can hurt you both with the air and on the ground because of, you know, what they're getting from the quarterback position, the threat of him running the football, the accuracy that he has giving the football out to C.D. Lamb, and then those those two running backs, that two-headed monster between Pollard and Elliott. Again, Matt Taylor, it's with us, voice of the Colts. Our coverage begins at 5.30 on Sunday. Sunday Night Football, the Colts and Cowboys from Jerry's World. Um, Matt, I was talking to Jake a little bit earlier. Um there's a really alarming stat in regards to the Colts passing offense about uh, basically their vertical passing game and the lack thereof. Um, say next gen stats, Matt Ryan ranks at the bottom of the NFL and attempts, <coughs> excuse me, attempts down the field. Um, and it really is kind of a historical basis. How much do you think that aspect of not being able to take shots down the field, not being able to challenge teams vertically, has held back this offense? Yeah, I think it's it's a big contributing factor. You know, Jeff Saturday talked about that this week. You know, on our on our Monday night show following that game against the Steelers. You know, I mean, the Colts in the last I think it's the last six games they only have eleven completions over twenty yards. And you know, it's it, I I think these two things kind of coincide with one another because the Colts have the second most 
drives this season of at least 10 plays with 27 of them. And I don't think that's a coincidence. I think those two things kind of go hand in hand, meaning, you know, the Colts have a, you know, if they're going to get into scoring position and ultimately get points, it takes them a long time to do so in terms of the number of plays because they don't have a ton of uh, explosive plays on the season. And they're not pushing the ball down the field, as you said, you know, the air yards per attempt uh, is is well under 10. And, you know, last year at times you saw, um, you know, Michael Pittman Jr. on the go routes and being able to high point the football on the sideline. And earlier this year, you know, you saw some uh, explosive plays from Alec Pierce. You know, those types of uh, attempts are, are, are they've, they've just not been there uh, the last couple of weeks. Also, too, you know, since Jeff Saturday's been here, the number of attempts in the passing game have gone way down. You know, the first, I think, seven or eight games, the Colts were averaging almost 40 pass attempts per game, and that number is is uh, under 30 right now since Jeff Saturday's been here, which I, I think is ultimately a, a good thing because Jonathan Taylor is, is becoming more established these last three weeks and, and being a little bit more consistent in the run game. Um, but there's no question that, you know, when, when you're not able to – move the ball with explosive plays and get chunk plays, it makes it hard to get into scoring position. And also, too, and maybe more important, is that when something negative happens to this offense, it has a hard time overcoming it. And that that probably sounds Mr. Obvious, but what I mean by that is a penalty or a tackle for a loss or a sack, those types of things – Really, those are just drive killers for the Colts. Those, those just doom possessions because the Colts don't have the ability to get recently chunk plays in the passing game or in this offense to overcome those negative things that happen to the, the offense to get them off schedule in terms of down a distance. Matt, what's the mood there? I mean, just within the locker room being around it, does it feel different? Does it look different? Does it sound different than it did, let's say, in mid-September? Well, I mean, now you've got guys that are talking about, you know, trying to, I mean, I, I love Julian Blackman's quote the other day. You know, he said, this is the NFL. It doesn't stand for the National Football League. It stands for not for long. And so when everybody's, you got the outside noise now of, you know, the perception of, you know, this team needs to tank because they're 4-7-1. and one. Now it's all about getting a franchise quarterback and, you know, setting yourself up for, for draft positioning and all that. You know, Julian Blackman's like, I don't know how much longer any of us can play football. You know, nothing in this league is guaranteed. And what you put out there on the game tape, that's you. That's your resume. You can't fake that. And that's that's uh, you know that that that's that's you in terms of uh, how you handle yourself as a professional. You know what you're giving to the organization because you signed a contract. Doesn't matter if you're uh, you know 15 and one or you're you're you know four and seven and one. Doesn't matter. You still have to go out there and play. And play to your, you know, to the best of your ability because you're playing for yourself, your organization, for the contract, your future contract, and so those types of uh, quotes and and that messaging is certainly way different, especially inside this building period. But you know, to have those types of of conversations and hear those quotes, you know, whatever, whatever today is, December second, uh, that's way different than the conversation that was uh, being had. You and know. it's Matt, it's got to present a challenge, doesn't it? Because I'm not saying this is the case, but you have the potential or the possibility of a locker room now that have guys whose eyes are looking in different places. 
Some that are saying like, hey, this is my chance now. I'll get some reps. Some that are like, look, I want to try. I'm not going to, you know, I don't want to be replaced. Others that are like, I want out. I mean, does it, is there that potential that things have become fractured? Well, I mean, I think every team deals with that to, to some degree. I mean, yeah, I mean, there, there's potential there, but I, I don't think that it'll happen because, you know, you're going on, you're going to play Sunday night football. And the last thing, you know, this, this locker room, the guys inside the locker room want to do against a really good team like Dallas on a national setting and a stage is go play poorly and have people talk about the team and themselves, you know, and, and their play specifically in a negative manner. So I think the guys have pride in that regard. Plus, I think they're going to get the bye next week, really kind of decompress. It's the latest bye. They're, the Colts are the only team in the AFC that hasn't had a week off yet. You're talking about, you know, a complete just grinder of a season from late July until now without an extended time uh, or period of time off. So I think that will help kind of get reset for the last four games of the season. But I think every team that's had an up-and-down year, which is basically every NFL team outside of you know three or four teams, they have to deal with, you know, am I not playing enough or should I be playing more? What's my role? What's this guy going to do? I mean, that's just that's the nature of the beast in the National Football League. And guys know, again, for the most part, unless you're you know the Matt Ryans where you, you carved out 15 years or the DeForest Buckners who – you know, you're you're an all pro player, and the Shaq Leonard's. I mean, these, these guys, uh, you know, they're solidified. But everybody else, you know, and I'm, I'm probably you know, Jonathan Taylor. Throw him in there as well. You get what I'm saying. I mean, everybody else has to be playing for you know tomorrow because nothing's guaranteed in this league. Doesn't matter if you're four seven and one or or ten and two. Matt, we'll end with this. Um, I enjoyed your conversation earlier in the week with Dallas Flowers. Uh, clearly one of the bright spots on Monday yeah. night. Uh, when Jake and I talk about Dallas Flowers, we usually just refer to his college nickname, right? The That's Gorillas. Right. That's right. Pittsburgh State, maybe. Yeah. Uh-huh. Pittsburgh State Gorillas. Who I, the, Eddie Garrison was telling me they beat UIndy. Um, I don't know if it was in the playoffs, but earlier this year. Nonetheless, um, Flowers has got a pretty interesting story in not only how he got here as an undrafted free agent, but also how he got the chance to be the kicker turner the other night. Yeah, yeah. So he's he kind of bounced around a little bit. He went to two or three different uh, colleges in, and played at the NAIA level and the Division II level and uh, actually played with his brother a couple of different spots in college because he was a half-scholarship guy, I believe, at Grandview, which is an NAIA school, and was a half-scholarship guy to play basketball and football. Then the basketball program, uh, for whatever reason, that either the, the program – fell on hard times or his scholarship went away to play just basketball so he focused on football and then transferred to pittsburgh state to get on a little bit of a bigger stage and and get some more notoriety and completely balled out there had a couple of kickoff returns for a touchdown um and was a you know all-conference player there at pittsburgh state and uh, he, he was telling me they the whole city shuts down it's like downtown pittsburgh and they get like 12 13 thousand fans for every game and it's a huge you know, big, big deal every Saturday in the fall there at Pittsburgh State, and they've won a couple of national championships as a program. Um, so he said, like, their facilities are better than some of uh, Division One programs that he's seen and been around. They, they pour a lot of money into football, and they take it very, very seriously. He said they have their own pro day at Pittsburgh State, and they say guys from all around that area come to Pittsburgh State for the pro day because they have that many guys that are sort of on the NFL radar every year coming out of that program. Um, so he's just a very likable guy, got his chance 
because, uh, you know, Isaiah Rogers the other night went to Bubba Ventrone, the special teams coordinator, and said, hey, I think Dallas Flowers with his speed here, you know, there's a chance for a big return. So they put him back there on the opening kickoff of the second half and ripped off that 89-yarder and was like a half a block away from taking it to the house. I know he's pretty P.O. at himself for not being able to get into the end zone, but an exciting play that I think was huge you know, a big part of that catalyst for the Colts in, in their third quarter comeback when they took the lead 17-16. I'm telling you, I was watching it last night when Marcus Jones did for the Patriots, DB punt returner, taking that first yeah. touch offensively to the house. I'm thinking, Isaiah Rogers or Dallas Flowers? Come on now. <laughs> no doubt about it. I mean, it's so important to get a big play like that. When you're down by a couple of scores, oh, huge. you get a play like that, it's huge for just the, the momentum and the energy in the sideline. And again, we go back to the offense having a hard time moving the ball. You start the offense first and 10 at the plus 18-yard line. They got a touchdown on that drive. That was huge. You, you, can't, you cannot underestimate what a big special teams play can do, not only for the you know, action on the field, but just the energy on the sideline. Now, will you call plays from the Jumbotron Sunday night? Be honest. There's no, there's no question that I'm going to have to fight the urge to, to not look at the Jumbotron. Now, I'm going to have to use it to enhance my viewing, if you will, because sure. if I'm not mistaken, the these newer stadiums, they don't really prioritize the media and the radio location. So if I'm not mistaken, I think we're sort of quasi in the corner, which is not a great viewing angle, if you will, for the game. So I'll have to you know use my eyes, the binoculars, the monitor in front of me, plus that jumbotron, which is crystal, crystal clear. So I think between all of that, we'll we'll you know paint the picture as accurate, accurately as we can. I'm telling you, Joe T. Garcia's in Fort Worth. Yeah, buddy of mine who lived in Dallas literally goes, Joe T.'s is incredible. Yeah, it's a good place. Nice. What's what's your go-to order there? Uh, actually, they have. It's I can't remember what they call it, but it's it's that's a great question. They're like pizza rolls, but they're basically a chimichanga, like chimichanga <laughs> rolls. They're really good. It's it's kind of more to be honest with you. It's just the local place and it's massive. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's yeah. it's it's huge and so it's it's kind of more just the tradition of it. Dolly's fried chicken in Fort Worth is also really good. All right. Can you text me the address? <laughs> I, I will do lost. that. You know me. I, I will do that. Dolly's <laughs> fried chicken. All right. Uh breasts more than wings. Uh, I'll take your word for it. Maytate. <laughs> Safe travels. All right, brother. Hey, enjoy the game tomorrow night. Have fun as a fan. Thanks, man. Appreciate that.